how do we build relationships, getting feedback in terms of all angles of your business helps you to actually define boundaries and make clear structures moving forward. And then you become a support network for others. You're listening to the Bookkeepers Podcast, sponsored by Zero. I use Zero's accounting and bookkeeping software to manage my clients' accounts, and I love it. If you haven't tried it yet, head over to zero.com with an X and you can either start a free 30-day trial or sign up to Zero's partner program to join their amazing community, forward-thinking accountants and bookkeepers. Hi, and welcome to the Bookkeepers Podcast. I'm Zoe Whitman. I'm here with Jay Wood, and we're joined by Sarah Moxham today from Phoenix Staffing. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hey, Zoe. Hey, Joe. Thank you so much for having me on the Bookkeepers Podcast. I am amazing. Thank you. It's really nice to see you here. Really excited about this conversation about relationships and the power of women. And I know that you and Joe met at an event recently and you were just chatting and you're like, this needs to be a podcast episode. So we're really grateful that you're able to join us today. Um, Sarah, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about your background and what you do? Absolutely. So my background as an entrepreneur, I, uh, I've been in business for... 15 years, I started working in the nightlife industry when I was studying at university and I started my entrepreneurship career as a shop girl. So I was upselling Jaeger bombs in loads of nightclubs, commission only job. And I grew my company from there. So my last year of university, I decided that the corporate world was not for me. I tried doing a couple of internships and hated it and um, set up what was then called Pout Promotions. We then rebranded to Phoenix Staffing. We had an upgrade after uh, I decided I was not 20 (laughs) anymore. (laughs) And uh, what we essentially do is we provide flexible work opportunities, mainly to women um, in the nightlife, festival and events world. So um, over the last 15 years, we've provided about 7,000, maybe even 8,000 different uh, people with work opportunities uh, across the UK. Wow, that's amazing. So, I mean, did you come from an entrepreneurial background? I mean, okay, so your dislike for the corporate world is obvious, but lots of people feel that way, but they don't ever go in like so young to take the leap into entrepreneurship. What do you think like gave you the tenacity to do that? Yeah, it's such a great question. What gave me the tenacity to do that was being brought up in a space of difference. I think difference and like when you when you feel like in your environment that doesn't necessarily support you um, in your natural way that you want to express yourself, sometimes that can actually shape you even more. And whilst people might say, oh, you know, they're not like me or I, I don't feel like I've got a home here. If you actually lean into that, then it can be your space of biggest creation. So to answer your question, I was brought up by church pastors so my my dad and mum set up a church uh in a in a really kind of rundown area of London um my mum went back into teaching but no entrepreneurs in my family um they've been none since my sisters went and became teachers as well and um yeah so I, I really that tenacity was built I think for through natural attributes that my parents saw in me and they encouraged and then stepping out and being bold and um, not actually not being unafraid to conform to what the environment around me was suggesting I should do. Amazing so the first business you set up obviously was you so you was on commission only so I I suppose you were like self-employed and building your own brand here but when did you start bringing in other people and what did that first business look like? Yeah, such a great question. And um, 
I was a control freak. Okay. I was literally like, I was a control freak and a workaholic. So those two habits meant that I, I started building a team, um, quite far into my entrepreneurship journey, which actually was a blessing because I, I loved what I did. I had all the energy and time in the world. I had no fear. At 20 years old, I was absolutely fearless and believed that I could do anything and didn't have any ties. You know, so what that meant was that I had a lot of time um, and I loved what I did. So I worked at night um, in, in the bars and clubs. I continued to sell shots at night. And then during the day, I'd build up the company. Um, and it got to the point probably about three or four years in where I had created a beast. I'd created a monster. And I was working from the minute I'd woken up to the minute I, I was going to sleep because it was very successful. Um, and it was then that I started to build a team. And my first ever employee is actually still with us. Her name is Georgia. Um, so yeah, 14, 15 years in, she's um, got an incredible journey of being able to support her and her three kids and go through loads of challenging times as a woman in her own rights. But she was she was my first ever employee. And um, she worked, she started working actually on the shop floor as well. So she was a shop girl. And we kind of rocked it together and it was slowly slowly that I built a team and I think there was a lot of internal challenges around that around letting go around trust around actually knowing how to lead and and so I gave a lot of time to leadership development and leadership skills over the years um because it's a skill it's it doesn't just come naturally mm. absolutely and I, you know I, I was having a conversation with someone this morning about how do you when you've you described how you created a beast and you build a business. And I think a lot of people enter bookkeeping. It's really, there's so many synergies here. Lots of yeah. people become bookkeepers because they need flexibility, that corporate world doesn't work for them anymore. Um, so they sort of choose the path that feels right for them. They potentially see themselves as a worker, a great bookkeeper. I've definitely been that person. I'm like, I can do this without thinking about I'm the business owner, actually. And then they build something that means they have to work all the hours to get everything done. And then, you know, the business development part happens outside of all the client work, often in the evenings and when we are tired and haven't got time and then we just are exhausted. How did you? Uh, this is really interesting, like growing a team and all the things you've described about being a control freak and not wanting to hand things over. How did you make the time available when you were already in the thick of it and things were so busy? How did you find time for leadership development, bringing team members in when I guess you felt like actually it would be better if I just, it's easier for me to just keep going in this hamster wheel, but you knew I had to stop. How did, yeah. how did you do that? How I did it was I nearly had a breakdown. So sometimes life forces you to do the thing that you wouldn't have done otherwise. So I recall it was a Christmas, probably about six or seven years ago. Um, and just to give you some context, my team is now 20 females deep, not all full-time employees. I've actually created a model whereby we have adopted flexible workers and contractors within our workforces to, as well. And I think this is very important for women and also very important for the younger generation. And you can get some excellent workers by doing that. So I just want to caveat that. But to come back to, to the breakdown, it was getting to the point of just before Christmas when I had had one of my team leave to go on maternity, someone leave because she wasn't right for the role. And rather, and I had this choice. I was like, I could either employ new people right now in what was approaching to be the busiest time of the year for us, 
or take on everyone's job role and just get it done. I chose the latter. And where that got me to was every morning waking up and bursting into tears because I had to live um, and actually get through the day. It got me to the point I remember at a Christmas party where my sister and my friend was like, okay, let's just focus on you for a minute, Sarah. Who are you and what do you like doing? And I could not physically answer them. So I was at this point where myself and my own needs have been so neglected and negated that I I would not have been able to continue. So what I did was actually got in a, a top leadership um, transformation consultant. It was through, um, I, you know, I really shouldn't have had access to her by the size of our business. She'd worked on businesses like Dior, Chanel, really high level, huge organizations. And she was an expert with, with women leaders as well. And some of the challenges that we may come up against because of the societal constructs that we sit within. And I needed to get outside help, and I did. And that journey with her was transformational because it allowed me to really work on my business. But I did have to step outside with somebody. I question and wonder if I ever would have ever been able to do that if it was just myself, and also if I hadn't have been close to breakdown. Um, so yeah, it's so interesting that I I, I do hear men, men talk about the same thing, but I hear women, every woman that I've ever met that's achieved something has had a moment where it's been so mega tough. And the only way to move forward is completely change how they move forward. And what's got them to where they're at is never going to work going forward if they're going to be the person that they want to be in the world. They have to make massive change. And it's such a shame. And me and Zoe are always trying to talk um, because we see people growing businesses fast and we're like, this is like, this is amazing. This is amazing. But this is where we really have to be careful. And people always worry that it's the ones, the businesses that are growing very slowly that are the problem. But actually, in experience, it's the ones that grow with massive speed. And the business owner, the leader, is a control freak always and thinks, I'll just do this. I'll just do this. It'd be easier. I haven't got time to tell someone else. So it's really great message for anyone listening to kind of really think like, where can you learn from this now so you never end up in this position? Um, because it's scary, it's horrible, and I've been there. So, Sarah, with regards to the industry and that you are in, you obviously the nightlife space, very different from the bookkeeping space, may I add. But <laughs> there are always, you know, me and Zoe have uh, worked in this industry, and we noticed that there were things that we wanted to change. Um, what were the kind of things you were seeing around you as a young woman in this industry that you wanted to change and make have an impact on? Yeah, I love this question because I love change and I love the conflict within change. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, we have that like adrenaline addiction and that like we like the spark, we like the, the conflict. So I think if you want change, firstly, just to say that is so good. And coming into the um, nightlife industry, so it's all I've known. So even before I set up the company, it really was the only work that I did. I love hospitality. I love nightlife. I love human connection. I believe in the power of it. I've seen the power of it. And I love being part of facilitating spaces of that. And if we rewind back to say like 20 years ago, nearly, um, we hadn't gone through certain cultural shifts than like the Me Too movement and like a lot of what this, this new cultural shift has brought about. Um, the industry was highly sexualized. It was highly built upon a certain 
um, physical appearance of a woman being what is desired and promoted and actually utilized within marketing. So it would be if you were hot, attractive women, you could get straight into the club, you go for free, you know, it, it, while I was at university would be put on tables with really rich men and you'd be almost like this marketing tool of making them to, to buy more. You know, we're getting what we want because we're getting our free alcohol, our night out, whatever. But when you really do a zoomed out view, you go, okay, interesting. So this is all bubbling. You know, when I first started working, our outfits, for example, let's make this really practical. Our outfits of a shop girl were probably what most of what comes to most of your mind now, which is hot pants, fishnets, short tops. You think of the dentist chair with like chucking tequila down people's mouth, which is actually illegal now. And it has been since 2008, by the way. Um, but this is all of the conjuring images that we think of, right? And they were true. Um, you know, high heels, everything, that would be how we would sell. Now, if we just look at that practical element, we have been part of shifting that and creating safe spaces for women in our industry completely and utterly. So the dress code now is black flat boots, black jeans, black vest top, black blazer jacket, do your hair and your makeup as you want. Um, you know, the, the type of way that you want to present yourself, whether you want to conform to the beauty ideals and norms of, of what is deemed to be most beautiful in Western society, do it. If you don't, don't. Um, and we've really been part of shifting that and changing that. And, um, you know, some may say, oh yeah, well, you know, what what is is that a big deal? It's a massive deal. Because over, over the years, you would get so many rebuttals around actually breaking down stereotypes um, for clients. You know, we lost clients in the process who we wouldn't conform to. No, our, our, our contracts are not going to come wearing bikinis. No, we're not going to agree to that. No, if you ask us to, you know, if you make a booking request, which is overtly racist, hidden in certain tones of like, do not send me someone of this. We're not actually going to fulfill that. So you have to actually literally cause disruption with no's and know what your values and your boundaries are in the, in order to create change. Um, and I think it's also been supported by a context which was moving in that direction anyway. Because when I show our young 20-year-olds now what, what we would have worn back in the day, so to speak, they're like, you wouldn't have caught me dead in that. And you watch also just how what people wear when they are going out. It's a lot more chilled out. We've, you know, we've also adopted that. So it's working with the context that you're also sat within as a business. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is... It's amazing, isn't it? I'm just thinking about, you know, nights out in my 20s and how different things were. And um, how so as a making a massive change, like massive statement in terms of like, this isn't OK. Yeah, we have to change this. We're going to do it in a different way. But where potentially your competitors weren't doing it in a different way. How did because that obviously, well, I guess was risk it was a risky move for you in terms of your business and like viability of your business so how did you cope with you know I'm going to do something that's going to completely break the rules like break the norm for, for good reasons I need to do this in a different way oh my god this is a risk how did you work through that yeah competition is a myth for a start there are people that are in your industry the, are they actually your competition? So I think it's actually tuning into what is competition. And that is knowing yourself and having deep confidence in yourself, your organization and what you're here to do. Um, inwardly, what's your value system? And not budging on that, having very, very clear non-negotiables. So for us to have an inclusive culture, 
is a non is absolutely a non-negotiable and to have a culture that because it's not just shot girls we do you know we do bartenders everything else but to have a culture where you know re reward is given for effort for hard work for excellence and competency at the job like it's having those clear value systems in place um, and not budging on them and doing that from the beginning because i believe that if you um if you bend to every single client need or request early on, that will be your culture. And it will be hard to shift that because you'll be known for that. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, when we were talking before, Sarah, we was talking about the fact that as bookkeepers and accountants, we have like these professional bodies and they kind of set standards and kind of lead the way. But in your industry, you don't really have that or who are, who are you looking? So you're having to create things where there's no boundaries set out, which is quite difficult. So did you get support from people in the industry like that? that who are the big names or is it just suppliers? How, how did it work? That's such a great question around boundaries and standards, um, because it's whenever I enter into conversation, say around sexualization as a woman in certain places, it's like, OK, well, at least when I speak to them in the corporate world, at least you had a framework to fall back on. Like in the nightlife industry, they don't really <laughs> exist that much. So we've actually been part of shaping them. So to answer the first part of your question, we've partnered collaboratively with organizations. So one of them is an organization called Good Night Out. What they exist to do is to end sexual uh, violence in the nightlife and festival space. What we've partnered with them to do is to create policy and procedure through the um, through listening to the voices of our contractors, through listening to their experiences, through getting their input. We've created very clear guidelines of workable standards, which now we roll out to all of our clients. So we have actually been part of shaping an industry standard and also rolling that out across board. Um, so. Did I get support? No, we had to find it, seek it and be clear on what we wanted to achieve and why. Um, and that wasn't just me. That was when I spoke to the team, it was just coming around the table and hearing and listening, getting very good feedback from clients, from contractors. What is the experience? If you, you know, to, to talk about what we're talking about, which is how do we build relationships, getting feedback in terms of all angles of your business helps you to actually define boundaries and make clear structures moving forward. Um, and then you become the support network for others. So now others will come to us and say, oh, actually, have is this a common experience? How did you deal with this what's the way that you'd approach this and you're always balancing multiple things when you're looking at profitability and turnover and creating that for clients and customers and contractors and also then culture and making sure that you're you're both of those elements are coming into all decisions you um you spoke there about like the relationship building and um when you spoke at emc you spoke a lot about the power of relationships and and how you've done that in a time I mean you know before maybe using social media what what have you done in like in a world of social media where there's so many you know online opportunities you've really harnessed the offline and it really helped you in Covid because um obviously the nightlife industry shut do you want mm. to tell us a little bit about like how you managed to pivot and and how you saved your business through that time yeah, so the nightlife industry was illegal. That's not, yeah, it wasn't. It was illegal to meet everything that our business, in its essence, was against the law. 
Um, and that was such an interesting time because for us, there wasn't, it wasn't like, what strategy do we use? How do we do this? It's just like, we'll do what we've always done, which has been build relationships. Um, you know, I think the context of our industry obviously leads more towards face-to-face -to -face connection. And I also think the lessons are fundamental for all business. If I ask your audience to think about a time, you know, what is their best memory? in life when have they most had the most fun what has been the most connected time what's been the time that's brought the most alive brought brought you most joy um has it been when you've been attached to your phone has it been when you've been on a zoom call has it been when you've been scrolling through instagram i would second guess that there would be virtually nobody um who would actually say that that is their most memorable and enjoyable part of life so as uh, you know when we ask ourselves the question, what are we creating in business? What is the, the type of business that we want to have and the experience that we want someone to have by interacting with us? I think face-to-face -face relationships are a given because that is where we build real connection um, and power. And that doesn't take it off. You might meet online, but then at what point in that business journey can you take it to face-to-face? -to -face? You know, how can you get yourself to a live event? How can you get yourself in front of your customers at some point in that year? And what does that do for business? It creates stability. It creates real connection. Um, you know, we still have our first client from 14 years ago. I've journeyed with them in all phases of my life. It was the first client that I actually worked with when I was selling shots as well and you know we've seen each other in all of our realness of, of life and, and been through a journey of friendship together as much as business and if you look at you know what you were talking about Joe about longevity within business and not being owners that are just in it for the short term you know a lot of people I don't know maybe some people are just like let's build this for a year and sell cool if that's your goal maybe what I'm saying to you now doesn't resonate as as a, st a strategy but if you are in this as a, as a longer vision and a longer game then strategies like this are for the long haul they are actually what build the stability what builds the structure and what keeps it going um, and fostering that strategically not just saying like, oh I, I might do it no no no. it is non-negotiable for your organization to do this if you want longevity mm. and even if you your goal is that you want to sell those relationships make your business right. really valuable don't they how did you navigate you said you know being with this client for 14 years through all stages of your life which I guess had ups and downs and you know what this is interesting because we were talking to one of our mastermind members this morning and she was saying about one of her clients who's been with her for years and you know has grown with her and like we love this like this is this is what we're looking for with our clients but how do you manage those times where things aren't going so well like how much do you share as a business owner about like what's going on with you if you feel like I don't know that might affect your way of working or do you like how, yeah. how personal is your relationship it's a great question and I'll bring that into real context so something I spoke about in at EMC I've spoken a, a lot about it recently because it's so fresh to my current journey um my sister passed away in April so she um was 31 she'd just given birth to my nephew who was nine months old at the time and she passed away of cancer so I'm now eight months into that journey um I 
didn't I haven't avoided any part of that process I've been very present to the process of of grief in everything and every way that it comes but it's through open communication direct communication with my team of of you know employees in work also with clients who are close enough not to overshare but just to be like hey this is actually where I'm at um and knowing that I still had the resource because of the structure that I'd built and also who I am and what drives me and what is my love in life. It is what I do, get to do every day in work. I knew we would still have the productivity that I'm not going to be using that as a sob story of an excuse. It's actually just to say I'm letting you into my life so we can connect here this doesn't change what we do in business. And what actually happened from there and what continues to happen is the depth of relationships are stronger because that's then reciprocated back to you and you learn things about your people that you never would have got. And I think gone are the days, I hope, where we set up organizations that we say to people, leave your stuff at the door. We welcome every part of who you are in this process because it actually helps us to move with you. So for example, if your client's dad has just died, you know, maybe you're not going to be chasing them from the invoice that they haven't paid, you know, or maybe you're not going to be bugging them with whatever it might be. Like you then ask them, how can I communicate with you in a time that is sensitive to their needs? You're actually meeting them in the wholeness of their experience and saying, hey, that we're real here. And that's actually, I think, how workplaces need to be formed as a whole. And whilst corporates, you know, again, coming back to the corporate conversation, a lot of corporates I know, they'll say, that never happens. You know, we've got this. That. I'm like, okay, great great for you over there. Like we can create that as entrepreneurs and make that an intention to do that. And then that starts to shift environments for others. It's so powerful. And it's exactly been, you know, I know myself and Zoe have worked in the corporate world and come from accountancy, traditional business backgrounds. And, you know, we often hear when people talk about systems and processes and the way they market and everything, but don't really talk about this kind of side of things, but they say things like, well, it's always been done this way. And most of the time that what happens when we find bookkeepers that have started business, they build a business that they recognize and that they've worked in. And it will be that kind of cold, traditional, pale, stale male environment. <laughs> and they're trying to replicate it with all of their it's and it's so against who we are. And that's why I think a lot of the time, you know, in in my 20 year journey and the amount of failures I did is because I was trying to copy someone else's version yeah. of what a successful business looked like. And I was told to be a certain way and dress a certain way and, you know, do all these things. And it they, it does it didn't work. It didn't feel genuine. It didn't feel right. And then those and then those um, relationships that we're building also the connection's not real because we're not being true to ourselves so it's so interesting that you you bring this up because we say it but we we often talk about oh you know um in the traditional accountancy world you know you would never share what you're doing online because someone else may steal it that competition thing whereas actually in our space we're like they share everything because there's so much work out there and actually what we could learn from someone could really like we're all actually impacting each other's lives and we're just coming from it a completely different angle so I love how we're changing an industry and yours is a, a very different industries but we're coming at it but we're coming at it from truly being who we really are and by building those relationships rather than being robots and thinking yeah. that 
how should we be acting? And and if I may add to that as well, Joe, I love every point that you've made. And there's a there's a let's call it a dark side to that. Because you know what will happen is as in our team and we have to kind of check ourselves slightly more and we have to work on this piece together because we're a relational organization is actually our attachments because there are business deals that end <laughs> there are people that leave that you've built close emotional bonds with and that is like a breakup <laughs> if you've built your organization in that way and the emotional load of that and the emotional impact of that like it still gets me to this day you know, there was a situation for us a few weeks ago where we had to let go three people, two people who I'd brought them up from 19 years old. And I'd sat around my birthday table that sat in my house. I taught them everything they know in our industry. But because of certain behaviors and certain choices that they'd made, we had to let them go. So it's also to say that even when you build relationally, you still need to have those firm boundaries and know the protection of your organization at the right time. And that's not from a place of greed and wanting to hold it. It's from a place of deep wisdom of understanding what that can do culturally for an organization that's built on relationships. If you do not get out someone that is not culturally aligned, it can be hugely destructive. So actually focus needs to go into a different set of protection boundaries and I'm now moving you out then like it's not from like I'm scared it's from there's a wisdom of like there's a culture here that we're, and there's an essence that we need to protect mm, and I uh, love I love this about um the boundaries are really important you were talking earlier about how you when a client is going through something and you you know you give them some leeway don't you because you're you know you you're a we're people and something's happening for them but there also needs to be a point at which you, you were talking about the invoice that's gone unpaid the invoice goes unpaid something's going on for them they can't at the moment you accept that but be there becomes a point where there are boundaries and that's why we have contracts in place and you know credit control procedures and things like that because there does have to be a point at which you say well hang on a minute this is a professional relationship and if this isn't working we need to change something about it we've got to address it and you know we have standards of you know what we expect so I think that is really important to keep in mind what what do you think I feel like there's loads we've covered today you know and I just wanted to for, for a bookkeeper watching this if mm. you if you were speaking to a bookkeeper about making a change in the industry and how important their relationships are um for changing the way that bookkeepers and accountants work with their clients as well as like the industry and how the industry accepts the unique challenges and opportunities of having women in the workforce what would you say to a bookkeeper or accountant listening to this yeah I think learn the rules of the game and I mean that in great empowerment i think sometimes as women we could spend time having the wrong conversations and by the wrong conversations i mean we get so caught up in how people see us we worry that we're seen as inferior we worry that we are not valued as much we worry um, and we're getting very emotional about the perception of who we are rather than channeling that conversation and energy into action. So I was a shot girl. <laughs> okay, let's go here. What does that mean? That means every night that you work, you get literally tapped on the on the arm. Oh, you're so much better than this. Oh, when are you going to get a proper job? You know, it, it's, do you want to take my number? Do you, would you like a job at, at my organization? Maybe I can get you an internship. 
Um, no. <laughs> I'm great. Thank you very much. And how, okay, so psychologically, how do you move through that piece? You know, I, I, we always joke around where we go that the money's great. Okay, when you're selling, selling drinks in a venue, and you're good, you're making great money. So you always have this um, slight laugh inside where you go, I'm doing okay, thank you very much, right? So there's that there's that piece. And then there's also the piece of wow, okay, am I going to hang on to this perception that someone has of me and allow that to step me back, not make a sale, not go and approach the next person, worry about what I'm doing, am I making the right choices in my life when I've got a floor full of people right here who are having a great night, who want my shots, who want the life and the soul of the party, where am I going to put my energy right now? choice you go there and you go make your money and you keep moving forward and years pass by and then what happens oh I'm not the shot girl anymore I'm now the business leader doing this not there's anything wrong I will go and do a shot shift tomorrow because I have I I just don't have the patience anymore (laughs) but I would do that but it's like your goals and where you're moving forward whatever they might be it might be to be that bookkeeper and be excellent at it but you start carrying yourself in a different way because rather than getting stuck in the narrative of being an imposter of not being valued of everything you're going and so okay think what you want to think i'm going to keep being excellent and my excellence is going to keep opening doors for me it's going to keep getting me in the room and i will be at the top of my game and that's how you rise to the top you you choose what conversation you energize so interesting and earlier today sarah we had the reverse of that we had we was talking to a a, a lovely bookkeeper who was talking about the fact that her uh, one of her clients kept calling her his finance director and she was like but i'm only level watson what on um, at this level and i'm i'm a bookkeeper i'm not a finance director he can't go saying that about me because it's the imposter syndrome the other way it was like so someone's perception of you can even be positive and right. we will diminish that insight. So it's, I think it's a natural trait, but regardless of what their perception is, we kind of have this little, you know, worry to ourselves. But what, and it's really about what do we think about ourselves, I suppose. It's like, what's our internal dialogue saying? And we we, we talk through this and we're like, but you're doing this and this and this, and he's sleeping at night and he's raving about you. Why can't you just own that? You're a finance director. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting that you was talking about the other way, and it doesn't really matter, does it? What anyone's perception is, is how we internalize it and how we're going to take that and move forward. Agreed. And it, to add to what I said at the beginning, which is learn the rules of the game and play it. What I mean by that is this. It's that I had a choice as a 19-year-old woman who had no business experience, no business acumen. I didn't even know what an invoice was. I had to Google what it meant to do an invoice, right? I learned everything as I went. I could have a choice to... go in in the ego and say that I knew everything. I didn't. What I did was I went, okay, how do people see me? There is a place of going, how do people see me and how can I use that to my strength? So at that point in time, I looked like a very young girl and I was very personable, very chatty, believable. They could see I had a strong work ethic. They could see I was going to get that done. So actually have a self-reflection moment and go, look, what are my actual superpowers right now in this moment? Where are my strengths? And how can I play the game that they need, that I need? How can I position myself and be part of this monopoly board that's being played out before me? Where are my pieces? Where's my next move? And literally hone in so much on that that 
the rest you'll learn as you go. The rest you, you or you get you employ someone to do it, or you get someone else who that's their superpower and strength. And that's how you slowly build. Um, so it's really, I think it's, it's the mindset piece of knowing what you're good at, looking at what's before you, because also we we don't want to be blind that if someone actually does see you that way, you can come in and try to fight that, which might not be the smartest move. It's working with that. That's that's my, how can you always work with everything that's before you? Because that actually just releases the door rather than causes you to freaking keep bashing it down and take years to try and get it in. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, Sarah, really enjoyed speaking to you. Um, thank you ever so much for coming on and speaking to us today. Thank everyone who's tuned in. And um, Sarah, how can people connect with you and find out more about what you do? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Zoe and Joe. I've loved today and I love the connections in our world because I would have never thought that I'd be on a bookkeeping podcast. So I've loved it. And thanks everyone for listening. Um, the best way to contact and stay in contact with me is through Instagram at the moment. It's Sarah, S-A-R-A-H dot Moxham, M-O-X-O-M. And I've also got a website as well, sarahmoxham.co.uk. Lovely. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks everyone for being here. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Bookkeepers Podcast. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Bookkeepers Podcast. Why not join us in the Six Figure Bookkeepers Club at sixfigurebookkeeper.club or visit our website, sixfigurebookkeeper.com.